Hello and welcome to the Surface Tension Podcast. My name is Alex. My co-host over here is Craig. We are going to be exploring deep questions and looking for deep answers to spiritual questions and questions about life in general. We're happy to have you here. And here we go. Hi, welcome to our podcast. Alex, one of the gifts of old age is learning things that I probably knew before. And that is really cool because I don't know if I knew this before and forgot it or if it's something brand new, but I would love for us to take a look. And you're enjoying that. I I get so tickled. I don't be, who cares? I don't beat myself up. I forget something. But it, Reading the Bible sometimes is like I read it for the first time, and that's fantastic. I'm like, I've never seen this before. I shared with you something uh, from John chapter 12 that I've never, I probably read a hundred times, and it's never connected with me. That Jesus says, Not only do I say everything the Father tells me to say, but how to say it. I've, I've, that's never registered in my mind. That is amazing. And yeah, I get yeah, so yeah. excited about making those little discoveries. I thought it would be fun for the two of us to look at the first couple of verses um, in John chapter 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We don't often just kind of camp out on a passage, but I thought it would be fun for us just to explore this. Yeah, why not? And I say that with the precursor. Before we launch in, one of the things I realized is that there are many parallels to the cross. There are many bridges to the cross. So as we read this, Let's keep in mind the impending cross. It's less than a week away for what Jesus was going to do for us. And so let's just kind of read read through it. And I'd love to hear what you hear and see what you see and see if God can share with us something. Yeah. Do you want me to just go through uh, verses 1 through 17, the whole feet washing experience? Maybe let's just do bite by bite. Let's just... Let's just go one nacho at a time here. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I love (laughs) the way you said that. Okay, so John 13, uh, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Wow. All right. Do you notice it? What do you notice there? I mean, even this, we could probably spend an hour on just this. Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come. He knew his, it was a matter of hours before he was going to be crucified. That in itself is amazing, because if I knew I was on death row and only had a few hours to live, I would be an emotional basket case. (laughs) thinking about no one but myself. Yeah, it goes one of two directions. You either have extreme peace or you're really rattled, and I think that is very much dictated by your relationship with God. Is it not? Yes, and me saying I was be a basket case does indeed do that. I think you would actually be pretty peaceful. (laughs) I, I think you're selling yourself very short. He knew where he was going. Look at that. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. What do you think that did for him? I think it gives him great peace. Boy, I know the landing pad. I I know exactly where I'm going, and it's back to the Father. What are the two opposite 
or different ultimate fears that exist in people who are in the secular world versus Christians? Because I would say that people who don't know Jesus have a very different approach to death. They're very afraid of it. But Christians, I think, are, I hope, aren't afraid of death, knowing what we know and knowing what Jesus knew. But what do you think Christians, the ultimate fear is? If in the secular world it's, oh, I'm afraid of death, I don't want to die, no chance, no, no, no. What do you think Christians are most afraid of? First of all, it's a good observation. I agree with that. It, during during the Rose Parade, they were interviewing a um, an Air Force pilot, and every every Air Force pilot has a nickname. And one of the pilots was commenting on how this other guy's nickname was really cool, and I'm like, <laughs> and his nickname was Nafod. And I'm, I'm no idea what. Yeah, that and is. he was like kind of marveling. He's like, this guy, he's got the best nickname of them all, Nafod. I'm like. <laughs> Come again? Right. No apparent fear of death. Nafod, no apparent fear of death. And I'm like, that is a good nickname. That's pretty cool. That's pretty sweet that you can move through this life. Hey, you know what? It's not like I'm being passively suicidal like we've talked about in other other episodes, but I'm okay. Something good is going to happen to me on the other side, and so I don't need to fear it. So. I like that, but that's not your question. Your question was, "What are Christians most fear?" I think it. I think the fear is being a slave mm. to sin or forces of this world, worldly things or people. I think. I think that's. Uh, you know what I'm? I'm smiling, and you can't tell on the podcast, but. The question revealed for both of us something about our heart, something about our struggles, I think, because my mind went to not doing enough, the fear of failing and not doing enough. Interesting. And so that question festered out um, our our own personal kind of hiccups or idols of our heart or places where we are trying to probably earn something that Jesus has already earned for us, but that that is fascinating. <laughs> All right, let's keep going, though. This is his first verse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some verses say, and now he showed them the full extent of his love. Now he showed him the full extent of his love. Do you think they're talking about the washing of feet? Or the dying on a cross. It's got to be the cross, right? Isn't that interesting? Because if I'm reading this, now he showed them the full extent of his love. Now he showed them this love to the end, to the nth degree, if you will. I'm like, well, yeah, I can tell that there was some hints of love in the foot washing, but boy, you you want to talk love. There's nothing like the cross. Well, I look at it as the cross and beyond too. Yeah. Like to the to the end of time. Yeah, to the, to the end. To eternity. And yes. maybe I'm taking liberties with my interpretation and I love extrapolating it. out into eternity. To the end. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I read that. And maybe this is 
the beginning of the end, if you will. I mean, it's it's that okay. Now this, from from this point on, now we can know the fullness of His servant's love to even wash feet, and His servant's love even to die on the cross. That's kind of fun. You're right. We could spend a lot of time just <laughs> on each verse. Look at us go. All right. Should we continue? Yes, though? let's do it. Get to verse yeah, let's two. Go. Yes. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I know I did a couple verses there, but I feel like if we don't do it in at least little chunks, we're never going to get through. Love it. Go ahead and do that next verse too, just so we get that little section. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Hmm. How does verse 3 hit you? Read it again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Can we say that of our, of us as well? I mean, obviously, we didn't come from God. He's He's the one that was sent. We do have a certain amount of power and authority he's given us, right? And we are returning to God. Does that change the way we look at serving people around us? I think if I ran more things that I think, do, and say through the filter of I am an ambassador of God, that might change the way that I operate. I'm reluctant to do that. I'm, very, I'm highly resistant to doing that. I know that about myself. Maybe that's just like a huge uh, disclosure that I should never mention, but I don't think that I'm unique there, to be honest with you. I think we all do things that are a little bit silly outside of our ambassadorship, if if you will. Goodness, what a what a personal and vulnerable question, right? So, so where is it you really don't want God's input or advice, right? We'd been talking recently about the Super Bowl, right, and the Super Bowl parties and different things like that. And do, how many people really want Jesus at their Super Bowl party? Do they, do they, do they, maybe he would be a really welcome guest. Maybe it would be like, yeah, if you could just kind of bring, bring over the cheese board and and head out, that would be great. I do think this changes the way we serve. If we understand the power that he has given us, not that we have for ourselves, but the power he has given us, it's almost a power to serve and that we're also returning to God, heading to the Father, if you will. That's powerful. I do think there's another thing here, though, that's just amazing. Taking off his outer clothing, again, we are looking at these parallels of the cross. On the cross, he either had a tiny little loincloth, like it was portrayed in the Middle Ages, Mm -hmm. or he was naked. And it's so interesting that here he's voluntarily taking off his clothes in order to be a servant and there he was had his clothes forcefully taken off of him 
to be a forced servant, essentially, uh, on the cross. Even though it says in Isaiah 53 that he voluntarily went to the cross, which is very important. But looks like you have a question in your mind. No, I'm just, what does it symbolize, you know, being unclothed in this instance versus on the cross? I'm just curious about what symbolism you're you're pulling from that maybe in a way that's more, uh, no pun intended, fleshed out. Yeah. I think showing the body at this point in the ancient Near East was incredibly humiliating. And probably a lot of people in our audience know how humiliating it would be to actually wash people's feet. That was a, a job for the menialist servant, the, the lowest servant. Actually, it's written in some books, in the um, some ancient books, that they wouldn't even let Hebrew servants wash feet because it, 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 they, they shouldn't be lowered to that status, that if you had a Hebrew servant, you could not have them wash your feet because that would have been even below them. You need to come out, call over a, a Greek servant or a Turkish servant or someone else to wash your feet. They wouldn't let the Hebrew servants and slaves even wash feet. So he is humbling himself to the lowest floor of servanthood here. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's amazing. All right, let's keep let's keep keep reading here. So after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" And Jesus replied, "You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later." you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What jumps out at you there? How reluctant we are to have Jesus touch us. At all. Mm-hmm. Or anybody. Yes. I think that's to be served, to ask for help. All of these things, we can talk about them and say, oh, yes, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But that that really would be mind-blowing. You've just seen... You're the disciples. You've seen Jesus perform miracles and just just a a force a person a love that you're like this is nuts and it was and it still is but then to get on that nitty-gritty level of i'm going to serve you in a way that is so small and i'm not going to do anything with the immense power that's been given to me by God, I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way. This is going to be very basic. I'm not going to call legions of angels to bring you the tastiest meal you've ever had. I'm not going to slay all of your enemies. I'm going to do something that is simple and super personal. 
and that just captivates my attention. Knowing what Jesus is capable of, and then seeing the choice of how he's showing his power and his love through something that seems like a footnote in the story. Like you could have theoretically left this out. This is super meaningful. It needed to be in the book of John. Without it, we have an incomplete picture of Jesus. Right? Yes, entirely. Because when when would a king take off his outer clothes and wash the feet of his subjects? We have a king who is doing this. It's extraordinary. I am so also intrigued about the relational nature of this washing. This foot washing just wasn't something he was doing. It was connecting with a relationship. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. There was the relational aspect that was either consummated or severed based on Peter's receiving of Jesus' service. This, this washing is either going to make or break us, Peter. It's either going to draw you close and connect us in a, in a new way, or you can have no part of me. Feet were probably pretty gross back pretty then. Pretty grimy, yes. That's right. Everybody's wearing Jesus sandals and lots of space for dirt and grime to get in there. Yeah, if we're not willing to bring our worst and filthiest yeah. to Jesus, he just doesn't he doesn't want to have yeah. anything to do with us. Yeah, and for us it's not our feet, it's is our it? heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's our heart, it's our mind, it's our callousness, it's our anger, it's our judgment, it's our yes. rage, it's our jealousy, yes. it's all of these. Let me wash it. Yeah. Let me wash it. And he says you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. How beautiful is it that he says, you, you don't need to understand it first. Receive it. Let me do it. Isn't that something? Let me wash you. You're not going to understand it now. Later you will. I love that. He, he, he allowed the freedom of uncertainty to not hold him back from connecting with Jesus. And think about, again, we look about the how it builds a bridge to the cross. He could have said that exact same thing when he was hanging on a cross. You don't realize now what I'm doing. Later, you will understand. The people who are scratching their head and weeping at the foot of the cross saying, I don't understand this. How could this be? This is the worst tragedy I've seen in my short history, a perfect man who was so good in healing so many people, I can never see any good come from this. And that's what we do when we see bad things. We usually automatically conclude nothing good can come from it. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So good. And then Peter goes nuts in verse 9, right? What happens? What's he say in verse 9? He says, then, Lord... Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
He's real fired up at this point. <laughs> Why not? Let's go. And Jesus answers, uh, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. It's very interesting, that first verse earlier that we kind of just ignored. Uh, The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Iscariot is just an area. That's that's how it would be like Alex of... Orange County. There you go. Alex of Selvo Road. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry to rat you out there. He knew it was happening. He knew some of them were were clean. Their bodies were clean, largely clean, but they still needed something. They still needed to receive Jesus as as someone who served. Let's keep reading. There's some really good stuff here. Yeah. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What did you notice there? I mean, that's it's a pretty famous JC call-out right there. He could have said no servant is greater than his master, but the preceding uh, foot washing kind of brings it into proper focus. Mm-hmm. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I don't know what's standing out to you. Why am I doing all the analysis, Morris? (laughs) You tell me, man. What's, uh, you know what I'm curious about? I'm curious to know if there's a significance on verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. Uh, to me, I'm curious, why was the order changed? Isn't that interesting? You call me teacher and Lord. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. I don't know if there's something incredibly significant or not. If this, let's assume that that's significant. If it's significant, what would be significant about that? That he's Lord first and teacher second. Isn't that interesting? Order of operations. And how would that how would that change the way that we would approach Jesus? Well, to always keep Jesus in the right-sized position of, before anything else, you are Lord. Yeah. 
anything that comes after that is true. Yes. But if there is a hierarchy of titles, I think Lord mm-hmm. takes it. Yes. Guardians of the Galaxy helped us understand that. So Star Lord, <laughs> right. Forgive me. Um, but yeah, isn't that it? Yeah, I think so. Because it, it starts with this authority. His authority as Lord gives different weight to him as a teacher. If we just adopt Jesus as a good teacher, someone who shares with us some life principles that, oh, you know what, by and large, you follow Jesus' principles, they'll go pretty well for you. No, those we're not supposed to take his words as principles or suggestions if he is truly Lord, the creator of all that we see. We need to weigh his words very differently mm-hmm. with a very different authority. And we need to weigh his actions with very different authority, as he's doing here. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So let's get back to a contemporary analogy. What does that look like if we realize that our filthiest part physically is not our feet? Our filthiest part of us might be our minds, our hearts. What role do we have in washing one another? What role do we have in in bringing cleansing to the hearts and minds of those around us? Well, that it's not shameful, it's restorative yeah. and healing. Yeah. That's good. A, a feet-washing exercise, as it probably was in the, uh, in the times if a servant was doing it or a slave was doing it, they probably weren't doing it gleefully, enthusiastically, as a means of connecting with somebody and making them feel loved and complete, that couldn't have been the case. They were probably not making eye contact and trying to just kind of get through to it and then get on on to the next one, right? But if we are caring for one another in the way that Jesus was, you know, caring for his disciples with the feet washing, it's not shameful to serve it's also not shameful to be served. And it's also not incredibly complicated serving. It's simple. We can make it complicated. We can make serving complicated and turn it into big projects. And not to say that any big serve project is not worth doing. Some of them are amazing. But most of the serving that we're going to do in our lives, it's very one-on-one. It's very personal. And it's voluntary. And I don't have to do this. I don't have to ask you what you're going through. I get to. Isn't it astounding we think sometimes we'll be most like Jesus if what? We'll fill in the blank. I'll be most like Jesus today if. What's the first thing that came to mind? 
I don't know. That's you caught me drawing a blank. What what comes to mind for you? To me, doing something big. Yeah, it's preaching to five hundred people on a hillside. <laughs> My mind didn't go there. Walking on the water. Something, something, I'll be most like Jesus when I do something spectacular. But that's the very thing that Satan was tempting Jesus to do, is do something spectacular to draw a crowd. And Jesus is like, no, that's that's not what this is about. The spectacular Jesus thing we can do today is serving someone and being present while doing it. And I love what you just shared about the difference that a Christ servant and a world servant how they serve differently. One of them's eyes to eyes and maybe with a smile, with communicating value to say, yeah, you matter. You matter to God. You matter to me. That's fantastic. Well, I, I've seen churches, I've seen videos of people doing foot washing and it's kind of putting on a show. It doesn't feel like it has the true essence of what we're examining right here, right now, and in the tone and texture that we're examining, it doesn't feel as authentic as the way that it feels like we're talking about it right now. Have you ever seen a church doing that or seen a video of doing foot washing? And it's like, you're doing this, but it's not with the same heart. Like we can, we can serve, but if our heart's not in the right place, then it becomes a show. Yes. Yeah. The heart disposition of our heart is so important. And you know, to, to me, I love this because not only did Jesus exemplify this and use this as a springboard to say, hey, at the cross, I'm going to lose my blood and that blood is going to wash over you. <laughs> Similar to the way he washed these feet. His blood is what makes us clean. And to become a servant is really what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Boy, that's so good. So, anyhow, thank you for just diving into this. I love diving deep into the scripture is so exciting. It's There are so many gems here, and the Holy Spirit just seems to sometimes come alive. We create some space for us to go, ah, for far too many of my years, I have just read the Bible. It is a completely different thing to sit with it long enough to actually capture the heart of the Father. This is hit, This is hitting me in a different way than it has before. I love the way that the Bible grows with us as we grow, and it, it hits us in new and profound ways. I feel like I've called you out of the blue uh, before and just said, hey, I just read this, or I just prayed this, or I just got this nudge, which is something that I've known before on an intellectual level, but I've yes, never experienced yes. on a heart level, and all of a sudden it's hitting hard. Yes. Morris, this is nuts. <laughs> and just like you, you're having a chuckle now. You you chuckle then I do. too it's so because excited. it is cool. It it's is exciting so cool. to say, "Whoa, okay, this is going from words on a page 
to thoughts in my head, and now it's truth in my heart. What yes. the heck is that even about? Yes. And you know what? In that moment, you are washing my proverbial feet. In you sharing your excitement for what you're learning about Jesus, there's a cleansing that comes to my heart. There's a cleansing and a washing that comes to my mind. And God uses what he's teaching us as we share it with the people around us as part of that foot washing. How beautiful is that? I'm so thankful that God has orchestrated not only communicating Scripture to us, but a Scripture that's alive and living and moving in us and through us and to the people around us. So thanks for allowing me to journey through this John chapter 13 a little bit. And uh, we hope, I hope you enjoy this because this is fun. Boy, digging deep into scriptures, just so fun. And there's some great resources out there. Maybe we should do a whole episode on some of the great resources that can help scripture come alive for you. But uh, we also want to thank the people of the Walk, the Go Ministry International group of people who are committed to saying, let's build relationships that are going to help people get closer to the heart of Jesus, where we read Scripture not in order to find just what I need to do, but what He has done for us and how we need to live based on what He's done for us. So I want to thank Go Ministry International for sponsoring us. Thank you for listening to us, enjoying this. And as we always say, if you have a thought or a question you'd love for us to explore, please let us know, because we would love to talk about what you want to hear about. And thanks for listening to us. Have a great day.